Good morning. It's good to see you this morning, man. Good to see Sam. Good to see Nan home from college. Good to see Ian home from college. Anybody else home from college that I missed? What? Yeah, Kevin's home from college. It's amazing. He thinks he was away at college. Well, good morning. I am, I am, again, I'm really glad that you are here this morning. And um, again, for me, it has, been, uh, it, has been, it has been a real joy, and it's been a lot of fun for me just to be able to have, again, these three weeks with you, just to be able to uh, kind of work on something together. And usually, again, for me, as an associate, usually I get, you know, a week here, a week there, or, you know, graduation, or speed of light, or things like that going on. But Pastor was so gracious just to give me a few weeks, so give me some time to kind of uh, work through some of this. It's been a lot of fun, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. And uh, if you've missed it, let me again just let you know that we do have it available on the uh, church website if you missed part one or part two, or if you're a part of uh, our Facebook page, our fan page too, you can find a link there as well and you can get caught up. Uh, But if this is your first time here, let me just say this, you're kind of coming in um, at the end of the movie, Um, so you... You might not know what the plot is, what's going on, and and for some of you, uh, some of this might not make sense, so if you have to, I encourage you, it's okay to elbow your neighbor and say, what is he talking about, and try to get caught up to speed there, and uh, and just do that, and again, you you can listen to the part one or part two if you've missed it. So, this is our our third week of our series that we're calling I Marriage, and uh, we're not talking about every part of marriage, because it's just so much to talk about in just a short amount of time. But we're talking about just kind of one part, one small slice of marriage. And and maybe we're asking a question that maybe you haven't asked before. And we hope that maybe you've been getting some of those answers uh, this this last couple weeks. And I'm hoping that you've had some good conversation as well uh, with your spouse. So let's just do a quick review real quick. Here's where we're at. We said this. We said that when we get married, that every one of us come to our marriages with a box uh, of desires, right? We all think, you know what, I just imagine my wife, she's going to, you know, she's going to do laundry, and she's going to put the stuff away, fold it real nice and neat, just like my, my mom did it, or I imagine, I wish that we're going to have um, children, I'm hoping for two children, I'm hoping for four children, I'm hoping, you know, I don't know, two years from now, whatever, and I'm hoping this is going to happen, and I'm, I imagine that one day we're going to live in a big old house, you know, just like the one that I grew up in, and and, you know, I imagine, um, I imagine this is, you know, that we're going we're gonna to make the money and this is how it's going to happen and she's going to work and, and I'm going to work and this is how we're going to spend the money. And, and so we, we have all, uh, all of these things and these, these dreams and we have all these desires. And, and all of this stuff here we talked about um, is normal, but the thing is, still, is, is that it's a big I marriage. That it's all about what I imagine, it's about what I expect it's about what I dream about, and, and we can't blame ourselves because really this is kind of all that we've ever known up until this point when we get married. But here's the problem, uh, and here's what we do know, is that when we get married, we walk down the aisle with, with this box right here, a box of desires, and sometimes we walk out the church instead with a box full of these, that we walk out the church with a box full uh, of expectations, and all of a sudden, what was once fun to talk about has now become this big, huge expectation, 
And, this, and, and, what, and when we take that legitimate desire, you know, something like, you know, I just want to live in, in one of these, and we take these things and we begin to put them on the shoulders of our spouse, all of a sudden, again, what was once fun to talk about has really now seems like a lot of pressure, and it's become one big burden. And when we do that, the dynamics of our marriage, they begin to change, right? They begin to change, and all of a sudden, you know what, we find ourselves in a marriage, in a relationship that is now what we would maybe characterize as a debt-debtor relationship. You know, you owe me because you're my spouse. You're the husband, you're the wife, you owe me, and I owe you, and you owe me, and, and all this stuff happens, and we're not necessarily sure how that happens. But here's, here's what happens next, is the tendency is, is to transition from, hey, wasn't that fun to talk about, to dream about, to kind of work towards? Now it's turned into more of a, I expect that of you because you're my husband. And, and, and that's what husbands do, and that's what wives do, and, and, and that just begins to happen. And, and now again, the dynamics of things just begin to change. And what we find next happen is we find ourselves moving from a covenant more to a contract. And now all the good stuff about marriage, you know, the intimacy, the romance, the sense of community, all that stuff begins to evaporate and disappear. And that just begins to happen. And now, even on top of that, maybe even the emotional side of things begin to change. And maybe, hopefully not, you wake up one morning telling yourself, you know what, I'm not even sure if I really like this person anymore. Right? I don't even, I don't even know. And, and but, so we just kind of dance around the issue a little bit, and we know, you know, we know that something needs to be worked out, needs to be fixed, but we're just not sure how to go about fixing that. And so last week, we, we, just, we gave the solution to that. And we said, you know, it's easy to talk about, but it's not real easy to do. And the answer to that question, the solution to that problem, is to begin to take things from this expectation box and begin to put them back over here in the desire box. That the answer, the goal in all this, is to leave this part right here empty. And to empty this box. And when we do that, and when we empty the box, we have come to the conclusion through Scripture that our wife or our husband, they don't owe us anything. I mean, they may have promised a few things to us, but they don't necessarily owe us us anything. So when you get back, so when you get things back into that desire box right over here, again, the dynamic as we're going to look at this morning is going to begin to change again. And instead of having that big capital I, now we can move into a marriage with small, little I. Because we talked about them big I, those two big I's, it's just not going to work. It's bad. But as we look at today, these small, little I's, it's good. And why does this work? And why is this good? Because this is it. A Christian marriage isn't just about you. This is what we talked about last week. It's not just about you and your spouse and your two little eyes, is it? It's about a third party. And we talked last week about this third party coming into our marriage, in a, in a Christian marriage. And now this third party becomes front and center in our relationship. And in a Christian marriage, as again, last week we talked about how now I learned to love my wife or my husband in a way that respects that reflects God's love for me. 
And so again, the dynamic of that marriage changes. And it helps me to do this. It helps me to come to the conclusion that just as I am in a relationship with my Heavenly Father that's debt-free because He's forgiven all of my sin, that I need to do the exact same thing with my spouse. That it enables me to do for my spouse what my Heavenly Father has already done for me. So this morning, I want to conclude this series by just talking about two things this morning. And the first one is, what do we do now with all that stuff that's in that desire box? I mean, if we're not going to load it on our wife or our husband, and we know that, but yet we've got to transfer it back in that desire box, what do we do with it? And then second of all, how do we even talk about this? How do we talk about it with our spouse? Because the answer is, we're going to look at in just a moment, it's not to say, you know what, I don't have any expectations. You know, you just go ahead and do whatever you want. That's not the answer. So at the end of, the, what I'm going to, of my message this morning, I want to give you just some tips on how, again, you can talk about it. Again, I know you may not like the homework. And again, if you're not married this morning, this is going to be great because you're not going to have any homework. But if you are, I'm going to give you some things that you guys can talk about um, this morning as you drive home later on today. Uh, whenever. But first, I want to do this. I want, I want you to turn with me, 1 Peter chapter 5. That's what we're going to look at this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to answer the question this morning, what do you do with the stuff that's in the desire box? And we're going to find out what I just love about the Bible is how, just how practical the Bible really is to every situation in my life. And if you happen to be here this morning and you're just like, man, I don't even know if I believe in the Bible. I don't know if I believe it's true. I want you to check this out this morning because what I'm going to talk to you about, this stuff works. Okay, this stuff works. The Bible answers the question for married people, what do I do with all the anxieties that I experience? Because I do have wishes and hopes and dreams for my marriage and it looks like it's just not coming true. You know, I have a vision for what my marriage could be and what it should be. It's just not happening. What do I do? The Bible answers that question for us. But first of all, this morning, let me just share with you what you don't do, okay? What you don't do. First of all, you don't decide that it's really not there, okay? You don't just say to yourself, I'm really not that interested anyways, or I know this is the way that my mom did it, and I was kind of hoping this is the way it's going to happen, but it's really not that big a deal. And you don't just say, you know, I'm just going to pretend like it never wasn't there. That's just not healthy. Okay, so you don't pretend that. Number two, the second thing, and this is what most of us tend to do, is we just tend to get busy. Okay? This is the way a lot of us cope with this problem. We're just going to get busy. You know what? If my spouse is not going to be attentive to what's in my desire box over here, then I'm just going to get busy. I'm going to work more, I'm going to golf more, I'm going to spend more time with my friends, I'm going to shop more, I'm going to do all of that, I'm just going to get busy. But here's the dilemma that we find ourselves in, right? We, our spouse is not attentive to our desires, okay? But at the same time, we don't want to load them up with expectations. So what do we do? And we just find ourselves, a lot of us find ourselves just getting busy. And that'll work for a while, but here's what happened, here's, here's the danger in this whole thing, when we do that, 
when we just communicate to our spouse, you know, we're just going to get busy. Here's the danger in that. We communicate to our spouse that we're just not that interested in their desires either. We communicate to our spouse, you know what? I'm just, just, as, I'm just as much disinterested in the marriage. That's what we're communicating as you are. But the problem is this, and, and we know this, and all of you know this, that you would do anything within your power, right, to re-engage in a relationship with your wife or your husband that's meaningful, right? We would do anything for that to happen. So what we don't do, what we don't do this morning, it's just kind of, we don't do either, either one of those. We just don't pretend like it's there. We don't get busy. That's not going to help us out at all, Okay. So, however, the scripture, we're going to look at this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5, the Bible gives us some very clear instruction how we can go about dealing with this. And I want to read to you just three verses this morning from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. And these three verses are going to build a case for the final application of what we're talking about this morning. So I just want you to stick with me just for a moment as we look at what you do now with that stuff that's in that desire box over there. Peter gives us some very clear instruction on how we live the Christian life. And in this particular passage, he's talking about relationships. And where we're going to start in verse 5 right here, we're going to kind of come in mid-sentence, kind of mid-thought just for a second. So just kind of stick with me as we kind of work our way uh, through this. Let's look at verse 5. says this, Young men, in the same way, be submissive. Okay, There's that word submissive. We hate that word. Be submissive to, to those who are older. All of you, did you get that? All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. So we're gonna, this morning, we're gonna, what we're going to do, this is the solution. I'm kind of work through it. But the solution is that we're going to cast everything in that desire box. We're going to cast it all upon God. Okay? First thing he says there is clothe yourself with humility. Let me tell you real quickly what biblical humility is, okay? Biblical humility is not that I'm going to submit to you because you're my boss and I just need to be humble. I'm just going to submit myself to you because you're rich and I'm not and I just need to be humble. Biblical humility is not about responding to somebody because of their rank, their position, or their wealth. It's not about who you are and who I'm not. But rather, biblical humility is a decision about putting your deal, about putting your interest, putting the other person's interest above mine. I'm going to take what's in your box of desires right there ahead of time, and I'm just going to put it ahead of mine. And so Peter says that we need to clothe ourselves with this mindset that we're going to have to be about people who are going to put other people first. Let's keep reading there in verse 5. Starting with because... Because, and this is why he wants you to do this, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The first part, God opposes the proud. In other words, if my attitude says this, that, you know, if there's a conflict between what you desire and what I desire, you know what? It's all about me, and that's the problem. And you can do that. I mean, you can put your desire above your sponsors. You can do that all you want. God will let you do that. But if you want it to be all about you, God's basically saying, you're on your own. I really, really can't help in that situation. Because we just read here, God opposes 
or works against proud people. And for some of you this morning, maybe, I don't know your situation, but maybe this explains your marriage. Because you've got two big eyes sitting in a room, and you wonder, where's God at? Where's He at? And in the meantime, I could just see God kind of sitting off to the sideline looking and kind of just sitting around waiting for you to be humble, to be humble. God doesn't show up in marriages that are built upon pride. So God opposes the proud. Now, the second part of what we just read, here's the incredible promise, is it says here, he gives grace to the humble. Grace in this context, not talking about salvation, but God, rather grace in that God gives you the power that you need to do the right thing in that moment for that moment that he gives you. God is saying, we know when you put yourself under somebody else by choice, guess what? I'm going to get involved in that. I'm going to get involved in that. He is going to give you the grace that you need. And this works really in all kinds of relationships. That when you put somebody else first or humility, God gets involved. You know, just uh, in April, we were down at Upstreet, and we were talking about humility, and we define humility this way, putting others first by giving up what you think that you deserve. Humility, putting other people first. And when we do that, God gives us the grace or the power to do what we need. Isn't that a great promise? You see, that's why the one person who's out there, and they're trying to just do all that they can to fix that marriage all by themselves is walking away frustrated because God's not getting involved with that. But if you're humble, well, hey, wait a minute. God's all into that. Let's go ahead and read verse 6. Verse 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves, under God's mighty hands. And what that means in this context is, is when you place yourself under someone, you are humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. And by obeying him, you're putting, him, you're putting yourself under God's authority. And this is a great term right here. This term, humble yourself, it has huge implications, especially in the Old Testament. See, whenever God would have the nation of Israel together and he would have them together and he would say, you know what, I want you to humble yourselves, he was basically telling them, I want you to declare your dependence upon me. Declare your dependence upon me. God, whatever you say, yes, yes, I'll do. God, whatever you say, I'm saying I need you. I can't fix my marriage. I can't make my marriage I can't get my husband to pay attention to what's in that desire box. God, I need you. And God, you know what? If you don't show up, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then the second part of that verse, this is maybe the part of the verse that we hate. You know, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Second part, that he may lift you up in due time. You see, here's the one thing that I've learned, and that is God's due time is nothing like my due time. Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking myself, I'm thinking if I go to church and I hear the sermon on Sunday and I apply it on Monday by Thursday, man, I'm expecting something to start happening, right? 
My due time is a lot different. Listen, in due time, it says there, God will intervene on your behalf. What's that look like? I don't know. I really don't. It's going to look different for each one of us in our own situations. And like some of you, I've seen people live in the due time for a long time. Do you know what I mean? I've seen it. But in the end, in the due time, here's the thing that I have noticed. I've noticed God do some amazing things in their life, in their marriage. And I don't know about you, but I would rather live in the due time, experiencing God's grace, experiencing His power to do what I need to do, than trying to do it all on myself and fail. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand And in due time, he will lift you up. And that is a promise of God. Now, verse 7. One more verse. God's going to get, Peter's going to get real practical here for us, okay? In the meantime, while you're waiting on God to show up in the due time, this is what he says in verse 7. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast or dump all of your anxieties, all of your cares, all of your concerns on Him. You see, God still knows that you have this box right here. He still knows that you have your box full of dreams and desires and wishes. And He doesn't want you to forget about those at all. He doesn't. Instead, what He wants you to do is He wants you to come to Him daily, if need be, and tell Him about all that stuff that's in your heart, all those dreams, all those desires, those things that are bothering you, share those things with them. You know what, God, I just, I really thought, you know, that we were going to be able to have children. I really thought that we would have been able to have them by now. Or God, you know what, you know what, I just really thought we were going to live in one of these. And these, you know, just, just like the one that I grew up in, you know, when I was little. And all God wants you to do is he wants you to share those things with him. He says in that verse, I want, you know what, whatever it is that's a concern or care or an anxiety of yours, no matter what it is, no matter how silly, no matter how unrealistic it may seem, you know what, if your spouse is just not able to meet that, I want you to come to me and I want you to put those things on me. I want you to, I want you to dump them all on me. Why? Because the second part of that verse. And if you're not a follower of Christ, this would be a good reason to consider becoming one this morning. Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. And in the literal language right there, it basically means because you are of concern to him. You are of concern to him. So again, basically what's he saying? You know what? Here's the thing. Al... Is what's in that desire box of yours, is that important to you? Well, you know what, God, it kind of is. Well, then it's important to me. And why is it important to him? Because you are important to him. And no matter how silly it is again, it is important to him. So God is saying, you know what, whatever it is, whatever that care is, Whatever that concern is, I want you to come and cast it upon me because I care for you. And I don't want you to cast it again on big old I. 
Because then you're just creating for yourself a whole nother problem right there. But I want you to come and to cast that upon me. And if you can grab a hold of this this morning, here's what you're going to discover. And maybe some of you have already discovered this. And that's this, that what God did in my life during that due time, while I waited, while I casted all of my anxieties and my cares and my concerns upon him, what he did during that time in my life was so significant that I wouldn't want to miss, I wouldn't want to trade it for a marriage that caused me to miss that experience. The things that I learned, the grace that I experienced, I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's the answer to the first question. What do you do with the desires that are still in that box? But we still have to look at the second question this morning. And that is, to have a healthy marriage, we're going to need to talk about it, aren't we? I'm not sure what what that looks like in your situation, whether it's on the way home, later on. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we're going to have to talk about it. And what I did tonight, this morning, is I chose three words, three tips on kind of how to talk about this. And uh, again, it's just a little homework for you to work on later. And what I'm doing is I'm calling it uh, box talk. So you can talk about the stuff that's in the box over here. And those three words, those three letters, you know, they spell the word car. And we did it for the guys because I know the guys are going to forget about this. I know the girls aren't, but I know the guys are going to forget about this. So uh, I, I put this together for you. And there's, again, three words. And the first word is the word, it's, it's with the letter C, and it's confess. And that's basically taking responsibility for those desires that you've turned into expectations with your spouse. And you can't start that conversation with your spouse by pointing out all the things that they've done wrong, but rather it's about, honey, I need to confess to you that there are certain things or certain things that I put out there that are un- you know, they're unrealistic or Honey, I need to confess to you that I've put my desires before yours. And here are some areas where I've loaded you up with expectations. I'm sorry about that. And it's no wonder why you feel the way that you do. So I confess those to him. The second letter is the word A, and that's ask. And two questions we should probably go home and ask our spouses. Number one... Honey, where do you feel the pressure to live up to my expectations? Where's it at? Maybe there's an expectation that I, that I missed that I didn't confess to you because I just didn't know that it was there. Where, was, where are those unrealistic expectations that I put on you? So where do you feel the pressure to live up to my expectation? And the second one is this, and that is what can I do to make our marriage richer? You know, this is a question, as we're going to look at in just this moment, you're going to have to be a little careful with, and I'll explain. But this is basically just another secret way of saying, what's in your box over here? Why don't you tell me about it? However, here's the dangerous part, and this is what I want to warn you. You know, just kind of stick with me through this, okay? Don't ask your spouse to tell you everything that's in that box. Okay? Here, here's why. There are things over the course of your marriage that are in that box that are just not going to become a reality. It's just not going to happen. And, and 
And to bring that out and to say, you know what, I've always wished is going to leave your spouse feeling like a failure because they'll know that they're never able to meet that need. You know what, and that is a desire that probably for the rest of your marriage, you're going to have to cast that desire, that, that concern, you're going to have to cast that on the shoulder of your Heavenly Father. You're just going to have to do it. For example, let me give you an example. Maybe this is not the best one here. It would be like me sitting down talking to my wife, Landon, and saying, you know what, honey, tell me everything that's in your expectation or in your desire box over there. You know that's a loaded question, don't you? And, and it would be like her saying, well, you know what, Al, ever since I was a little girl, I'd always dreamed of marrying a professional athlete. <laughs> and you guys laugh at that? Come on. You know what? That's just not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I, I, if that's her dream that she has, you know what? She just needs to share that with her mom, okay? Not necessarily me. You know, don't, don't tell me that because then for the rest of my life, I'm going to feel like I just let her down. So there is just some things that are in that desire box that just, they're just not going to come true. And then the last word starts with the letter R, and that's the word reward. Reward like you did when you were dating. Here's a great principle for you this morning. Write this down. What's rewarded gets repeated. What's rewarded gets repeated. What's rewarded gets repeated. You know, here's the thing, and this is kind of nice sometimes, that sometimes we accidentally do things that satisfy or dip into that box right there of our spouse's desire, and we don't even know it. We don't even know that. And, and they get just so thrilled that we do that, but if we don't reward them, they'll never do it again. Let me give you, let me give you an example. Let's just say that you're a stay-at-home mom, okay? You stay at home with the three kids, the four, and you guys are like, I don't have four kids, right? The three kids or two kids or whatever it is, and you know that if you're a stay-at-home mom, there's all kinds of things that are happening in the morning, and it's kind of a rush, and you guys know what I'm talking about, moms, okay? Maybe if you're not even a stay-at-home mom, you know what that's like. But you're a stay-at-home mom, and you have all this stuff going on, and all these kids are all over the place, and you're making lunches, and you're getting the clothes on, making sure their teeth are brushed, whatever. That's what my house looks like in the morning, by the way. And uh, so all this stuff is going on, and your husband, instead of, um, instead of hurrying up and getting out the door for work, he decides he's going to stick around, and he's going to help you get the kids out the door. And then after he gets out the kids, kids out the door, he does something else that amazes you even more. He sits down at the counter, and for 10 minutes, he gives you what you so desperately want, and that's adult conversation, Right? Oh, I just feel so good. And then you're kind of wondering, what, what is he doing? You know, what's going on here? And, and the thing is, is all he's doing is he's just waiting a little bit longer to go to work because he knows where that little bubble in traffic is, right? And if he gets right in it, he's going to get there better and smoother. And so he knows right where that's at. And matter of fact, if you look at this, he's really not even thinking about the marriage. He's actually thinking more about big old I. So ladies, what we need to do in a situation like that is we just need to recognize that. We need to reward that so that they will know what's important to you. 
so they know what is important to you. And so when you have that opportunity, and again, husbands, wives, this works both ways. And you can just let them, give them that little note, send them that little note that says, hey, you know what, I just want to thank you this morning. You don't know this, but you actually dipped right into my desire box and you met one of my wishes and, and, and hopes and you did that. And I just want to tell you, thank you. That's going to go a long, long way in helping that person, in helping your wife or husband discover what's in that box right there. You know, this morning, um, as I close, the Bible tells us that in the very beginning, when God put the first man together and the first woman together, that what he was going to do is he was going to take one and he was going to put it with another one and they were going to become an us. Amen? They are going to become an us. This was, and they were going to become an us, they were going to become one flesh, and this was the first us in the whole world. He took two eyes and made them an us. And do you know what? That's God's desire for you and me in marriage. Not two big eyes, but one big us. And that doesn't happen until we learn how to transfer expectations back into desires and to operate out of an unconditional love for each other instead of I just expect this of you. And my prayer for you this morning and my prayer for the marriages at this church this morning is that we would learn not how to function as two big eyes, but as one big us. And in doing so, when we do so, we show the world that we honor our Heavenly Father. And that we would, again, we would illustrate to the world what God had in mind when He put the first man and the first woman together and they became one. Amen? I know that this was a, a lot and I, I hope some of this has been, uh, been helpful. And again, I want to encourage you that given the opportunity that you would not just look at this stuff or hear this stuff and say, you know what, Pastor Al, it sounds great and I kind of agree or I disagree. I know there's plenty of disagreements and that's okay. Um, but that you would take some time and you would begin even just to ask these questions of each other and find out and see what that does and let it spark some conversation and let it spark some evaluation. Evaluation is key, amen? It's key in our marriage. So if you'll take the time to do that, I just know that God will honor you for doing that. Amen? Let's pray this morning. God, again, I thank you so much, God, for every marriage. I thank you for my marriage, God, that you didn't just leave me by myself, but God, you, you put somebody else in my life, and I am so grateful for that. And, and that you put somebody in my life, God, not so that I can demand things of her, but God's, it, it, God, in a way so that she can reflect, God, your love in a very tangible, very physical way for me. And I thank you so much for that. God, I know that as we sit here and we all have our marriages, and I'm sure that we all have areas in our marriage that we need to work on, whether it's this one or not. But God, if it's this one, I pray that you'd help us to do some evaluation, that we'd be able to ask the right questions, that we would talk about it, and that we would learn how to, how to do life, God, as one. That we would figure out, as we talked about today, ways...
to put that other person's desires, God, above our own. That we'd be able to learn how to put other people first. And unfortunately, God, there's certain things that are going on in our lives that are just kind of stressful and we're kind of beginning to wonder if our spouse even pays attention or we're kind of wondering if that's ever going to happen. God, that we would be able to cast those anxieties upon you and be able to uh, experience the freedom and and the love um, that we need, God. God, again, I, I just thank you and I love you so much and I pray that everything that we've learned today in these last couple of weeks, again, God, bury it deep down within our hearts. Let it take root and let it do some awesome things. Change our marriages, each one of us, for the better. And God, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.